Hi there, friends. This is Pastor Rivero from Liberty Baptist Church, and I'm excited to let you know that our church is now live streaming our services. So you can check it out on mylibertybaptist.org or on YouTube. Our services are at 11 a.m. on Sunday, 5 p.m. on Sunday, and 7 p.m. on Wednesday, all Eastern time. But in the meantime, enjoy this sermon podcast here from Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. It's hard for me to believe that next week will be, God willing, our final message in the series in the book of Ruth. And we're going to roll right into 1 Samuel right after that. Even though it's December, even though it's the Christmas season, we'll be in 1 Samuel. I'm really looking forward to that. Next week, we'll be addressing the final verses in the... Okay, I was a little quick there. All right. We'll be addressing the final uh, verses of that chapter of the book and giving some summary thoughts. But tonight, I do want us to get into the message and look once again at Naomi, a character here in the book of Ruth that we've looked at several different times in several different ways. And I'm glad to be able to report to you that Naomi is going to come through this experience in chapter four much different than we found her at the beginning of chapter number one. Her life has completely changed by God uh, through the hand of Ruth and now by Boaz as well. We'll get into that in just a moment. I do want to say, even this morning, it was a blessing. We, we had people traveling everywhere. We had a, just a host of people who were ill this morning, and yet there was still a wonderful crowd here this morning. Despite all of that, I'm thankful for that and for the attendance today. But do keep some in prayer. I got to talk to Brother Justin this afternoon dealing with some health issues, and so their family was not able to be here today. Please keep them in prayer. And then also, uh, specifically, Brother Jim uh, was here this morning, had to leave before the service was over. His father got called uh, an ambulance and had to be taken to the hospital. And of course, you know some of the struggles that his father has had over the last months and even years. And so please, please keep Brother Jim Weatherby and uh, his father, Jim Sr., in prayer. And I know they would greatly appreciate it. And I know I'm looking at some folks that are here tonight that uh, just because you're here in this building, that doesn't necessarily mean you are feeling well because there are people who are here tonight that are dealing with health issues and ailments and you're still able to be here in the house of God. And I thank the Lord that you have enough health to be able to be here, but at the same time know that we want to pray for you as well. And just because you're here doesn't mean you're not worthy of our prayers. We don't just pray for people who are away from church. We pray for the ones who are here too, even though we're certainly thankful that you are here. And so I want to make some of those announcements to you tonight as well. Well, the title of the message this evening is this, Naomi's Life Restored. Naomi's Life Restored. Do you remember when we met her in chapter number one? She was in a bad way, wasn't she? She was living in a foreign land. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. All she had were two daughter-in-laws of the land of Moab. And she really had not much to her name. She went back to Bethlehem, Judah after Orpah decided to stay in Moab. But Ruth decided to come along with her. And she went back to her home of her ancestry. She went back home to Bethlehem, Judah. And when there was a large crowd that gathered to welcome her back from that long time that she had been gone. She looked at everyone and said, oh, don't call me Naomi. That's not my name anymore. Call me Mara. And you remember that word Mara means bitterness. And she looked at those people who were so excited to see her. You want to talk about someone 
taking the party and kind of just deciding to make it a whole different thing. He says, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And we're looking at someone who had looked at life, and I remember preaching this several months ago, looked at life through the funhouse mirror, that she was looking at what she thought was reality, but yet it was a distortion of really what God was trying to accomplish in her life, as well as Elimelech, and Malon, and Chilion, and even Orpah and Ruth as well. And so we've followed Naomi through these chapters. You'll remember it was chapter number two, where she had Ruth come back from the fields of Boaz, and she said, where have you been? And she said, I've been at Boaz's field. And she remarked, that's our near kinsman. What a wonderful thing that you just so happened to be able to come along to his field. Then we found in chapter number three that she helped Ruth to come to understand the way that she could be brought under the protection of the kinsman redeemer. When she went to the threshing floor of Boaz by night, and when she says, spread thy skirt over me to give your protection upon me, understanding that that meant that there was a marriage proposal that was going to take place. And then, of course, now in chapter 4, we find that we looked several weeks ago at this transaction that took place. And that sounds so cold to just simply call it a transaction, but this impending wedding that was going to take place between Boaz and Ruth. And, of course, understanding our relationship with the kinsman redeemer Jesus Christ being found all throughout that chapter and of course all throughout the book of Ruth as well but then we get to the point where we find that well Ruth and Ruth and Boaz are going to get married and certainly that is a wonderful thing but we're given one more glimpse at Naomi before the book ends we're given one final look at that women or that woman who went from Naomi to Mara but back to Naomi again whose name means sweetness, that one who was supposed to have that sweet countenance, who had been turned bitter over time, thinking that God had forgotten her, but realizing, I believe, by the end of this book, that God never left her. And so the title of the message tonight is this, Naomi's Life Restored. And if I was to give it a subtitle tonight, which I don't always do, in fact, I rarely do, but I think this one might help focus our thoughts on what this text is about tonight. If I was to give it a subtitle, it would be this, Naomi Finds what she wasn't looking for. Naomi finds what she wasn't looking for. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? We're in Ruth chapter number four, and we'll begin in verse number 13. Ruth chapter four, beginning in verse number 13. And the word says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse. And look at that, the father of David. I know this is not a surprise to you this evening because we've discussed this before, but we find just that little mention at the end of tonight's text that Naomi would become the great-great-grandmother of King David. What a turn of events that's taken place. I want to discuss that a little bit tonight as you're seated. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. I'm certainly glad to be able to be in your house with your people. Lord, there's nowhere I'd rather be tonight. And I pray that you would help me to be able to give the word as I believe you've given it to me. Let me speak with the power of your spirit. Let my own self be put to the side, out of the way. I don't want to be a distraction to what the word has for us tonight. But I pray there would be people who are helped here in this room and even those who are watching this online right now or watching it later that could be helped through the situations of life by looking at this transformation of this woman, Naomi. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, at the beginning of our text in verse number 13, we find that Ruth and Boaz are married. And the text tells us that they have a boy who later on at the end of the text we just read will be called Obed and is really given that name Obed by the townspeople. Could you imagine having a child and just asking the people around the, you know, hey, people in the hospital, what do you think I should name my child? Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily how it happens, but it does say in verse number 17 that the woman, her neighbors gave it a name. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But as we look at this idea of Ruth and Boaz being married and also having that son, there is something I want to point out in verse number 13. Look again when it says this. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, understanding that the natural marriage relation takes place, it says the Lord gave her conception and bare a son. And this isn't necessarily my message tonight, but I do think it's wise for us to point out that phrase that's there. I have it underlined in my Bible. I'd encourage you to underline it in yours. It says the Lord gave her conception. It's just a reminder to us that the Lord is the one who gives life. Let me say that again. The Lord is the one who gives life. And that life begins at conception. And why we believe so staunchly why we believe, one of many reasons why we believe so fervently that abortion is a moral evil, that abortion is sinfulness before God to take not just, quote unquote, a fetus away, that it's a lump of cells or a clump of flesh, but no, that that is a human life that is there within uh, uh, that mother's womb and that we believe in the sanctity of life and we believe the sanctity of life begins before birth takes place, even as the Lord is the one who gives conception. And of course, we can look to other verses in the Bible where we see that the uh, Lord has plans for us, that even when we're in the mother's womb, that even uh, when we are in that mysterious time of life, yet God has great plans because God is the one who gives life. And mankind has no business trying to take away the life that God has placed within the womb. And that's why one of many reasons why we believe so fervently and so passionately about that issue. But going on, we see that their text tells us by verse number 16 that Naomi will have great love for this child. Now, I'm not in the position yet to understand the love of a grandparent. I mean, I love it from the position of my parents that uh, had great love for and well, one still has great love for my children. But I myself, I know I'm getting older. But I'm not to the place yet where I understand what it means to be a grandparent. Uh, but I will say that everyone says that if they knew how great the grandchildren were, they would have had them first. And if you don't understand that, well, you'll have to figure that out later. We'll, we'll, we'll draw a family tree for you to understand why that's not exactly the case. But I understand the sentiment that comes along with that, right? That the grandchildren are, are great and the grandchildren are fun to dote upon and the grandchildren are, are a wonderful thing. And, and I get that. I, I understand that even if I don't understand it 
within my own self yet. I understand the concept of it. So here is Naomi who has now become a grandmother. And it says that there's this great love that she has. Verse 16 says, she took the child and laid it in her bosom. She laid this child, this boy Obed upon her chest. And it says, and she became nurse unto it. Now, if you were to look in the Hebrew, that word nurse there actually seems to refer more to what we would call today a dry nurse, the understanding that she was not nursing this child herself. Now, it could be the case that God supernaturally allowed her to be able to do so. That's certainly within the realm of possibility. We know that God opened the wombs of those who were very old at time, a woman uh, uh, like Sarah or a woman uh, like Elizabeth. We know that's the case, but I don't think that necessarily has to be the meaning here to understand what's taking place. I believe what we need to know is this, that Naomi was a woman who thought she had nothing and now on her bosom lays a little grandbaby boy, that boy that she starts to have that bond with, that boy that she starts to have that maternal care for, that uh, has stirred up within her that maybe had gone dead for some time because of the loss of her sons, that she now feels there's this, this life that is greater than her own. And she, it's obvious to me that there's no coldness here, that there's no distance, that she obviously, listen, she's not acting like Amara. She's acting like a woman who has joy. She's acting like a woman who has life. She's acting like a woman who has, can we put it this way, something to live for again. And we're looking at a woman who is dramatically different from Mara, who we found at the end of chapter number one. Now, the women of the town suggest that this boy be named Obed. Now, this is an odd choice in some ways because that name Obed means servant. Now, we typically say that when you find names in the Bible, they mean things, don't they? that typically names were chosen, not because they just sounded good to the ear, kind of like we do oftentimes today, but because there was a deeper meaning behind it. I'll be honest with you, when I think of that word servant, that name servant, I think, what exactly does that mean? How does that relate? But I will say that oftentimes when we're not sure what a name means or how it fits into the greater narrative that takes place, it really just behooves us to look at the verses around it to get a better idea. I mean, that's just good practice if you're reading the Bible anyway to understand context, to understand exactly what's going on. But that's the case here uh, when it says this in verse number 16, uh, and it says, and Naomi took the child, actually go back up to verse number 15 rather, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. Well, I believe that kind of gives us the idea of what the meaning of his name means, that they saw the life of Obed and saw, Naomi, you had no one to care for you before, but now this young boy is going to care for you in your old age. He's going to nourish you. He is going to be your servant. You may think you are nourishing him, but in essence, he is going to nourish you. And isn't that some of what the cycle of life is, isn't it? That we care for those who are within our household when they are young, but sometimes it is the case that the opposite happens when they become elder. Isn't that the truth? That those who we care for uh, end up sometimes having to care for the elder as life goes on. And this is the case here. They said, he's a servant. Naomi, you thought you had no one to care for you. And of course she has Ruth still. And of course she has Boaz. We, we know that his, her kinsman redeemer and Boaz was her kinsman redeemer as well. But he says, not only that, but you got Obed, you got this boy and he's going to serve you. 
He's going to nourish you. He's going to care for you as you, uh, as, as you grow older and as he grows. And there's going to be this bond. There's going to be this relationship that takes place. Could we put it this way? This is a special young man. This is a young man. Now, every life is special. We understand that. But I'm saying when we look at the context of this book and we look at how Obed relates to Boaz and Ruth and specifically Naomi, this is a special young man who is going to fit into God's plan, not just for the nation of Israel, but if we were to look at it in the microscopic, that God had a plan for Obed with his grandmother, Naomi. That's how much God cared for Naomi. This is a special young man. But what's interesting about this is some remarks that the neighbor women make. Now, of course, the neighbor women suggest that Obed would be a good name for this child. But you'll remember a couple weeks ago when we had this text and we saw the neighbors gave a blessing. Do you remember that blessing that they bestowed upon Ruth and upon Boaz, upon their, mar upon their marriage? There's going to be some comments that are made now, not in reference to Ruth and Boaz, but they're going to be made to Naomi in regard to this marriage and to specifically this grandson that she has, but also to something else as well. So with that thought process, let's look again at our text beginning in verse number 14. And it says this, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And then verse 17, and the women or neighbors gave it a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. I see two different remarks that are made in verse number 15 in reference to Obed, which are interesting. And I've already made reference to one of them. He says this, he will be a restorer of thy life and he will be a restore, or nourisher rather of thine old age. Now listen, there's a joy that comes with babies, isn't there? I mean, I mean, you've got to be a real Grinch, you know, pardon the pun this time of year, but you've got to be a real Grinch to look at a baby who's cooing, a baby that's smiling, uh, a baby that seems to have some joy, to look at that baby and say, not impressed. Look, if that's your stance, listen, don't tell me about it because I love the little babies. I mean, I, I, I love being able to hold, I love having Everly here now and to be able to, to hold her or even Lana, who's a little bit older. And it's just, they're, they're, man, they're so cute. I just tell you, I just, uh, well, I'm gonna turn into a puddle of goo right here. So uh, gotta be careful. Ooh, they just wanna pinch their little cheeks, but you know, uh, so, all right. I just embarrassed my daughter. All right, so no, uh, they're just, oh, they're so, they're so cute. I mean, they really are. I, I love, there's joy that comes with the youngins. There really is. I mean, I enjoy going into the nursery after church. And what I love about going to the nursery after church is when I'm done, I was like, okay, I can leave. Uh, the, the nursery workers have to stay, but I just, I enjoy going and seeing them crawling around and having fun and laughing, those little baby laughs and stuff like that. And those, man, it's, it, you get what I'm saying tonight? I mean, there's a joy that comes with babies. And so certainly there's some of that that's being referenced here in this text that, you know, you're going to have a baby in your life. And so even though you might be, feeling a little bit old, Naomi, that baby's going to make you young at heart. 
there's going to be some youthfulness that brought into your life. And with that youthfulness will come joy. With that youthfulness will come effervescence. With that youthfulness will come uh, this, this beauty into your life that a few chapters ago you didn't have when you were bitter and you were broken and you saw no hope for your future. Now you got this baby and that's going to bring joy into your life. But I don't think it was simply just the fact that babies bring joy, and they do. But I think it was something about this child, and it was something about this situation that was so unique. Because it says, He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher to thy, uh, of thine old age. Uh, meaning this, that this child, and what he represents specifically, in that kindred redeemer relationship, even in the fact of verse number 14 talked about that Naomi was also one who was brought redemption through this transaction and that Obed was the physical representation of the line of her husband Elimelech continuing on. Because remember, his name in Israel, her husband's name, her, she's a widow, her husband's name now is removed from the annals of Israel's continuing history if there is no redemption. But now, because of Boaz, and then the birth of Obed, their family's name continues on. This may not seem like much to us, but to an Israelite, this is a big deal. No, no, the way we look at things today, it may not be as big of a deal. In my branch of Riveros, there's not many Riveros that are out there. They're spelled R-I-V-E-I-R-O. But in my branch of Riveros, well, AJ is the last. And not knowing how AJ's life will progress. Oh, hi, AJ. He's like, why are you talking about me? Uh, <laughs> um, not knowing how AJ's life may progress, this branch of Riveros may be the final generation. Now, there's a part of me that could make that kind of sad. But at the same time, I would say in our culture today, we don't look at it in the same way that they would have in Israel. Because as much as that's maybe the case, I'm still very fulfilled in the fact that I have a family. I'm thankful for who God has given me. And to be honest with you, I'm not necessarily worried about the future of a last name. I'm more concerned about, well, the ones that God has given me, making sure they grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But there was a layer in Israel's history and tradition where having that name perpetuated was quite meaningful. You don't believe it, then read the genealogies. You say, where? Everywhere. There's books of them. Go to Matthew. Don't go to Matthew, but understand, go to Matthew. Go to Luke. By the way, you'll see some genealogies that have everything to do with what we just read here in Ruth chapter 4, and beget, and beget, and beget, and beget David begotten by Jesse, begotten by Obed, begotten by Boaz. And you find that thread all throughout. So what I'm saying is this, Naomi has a lot to be thankful for. Could we just say from reading this here, Naomi has a lot to be thankful for. She's blessed beyond measure. She's been given a son. She's been, that son will serve her in her old age. That's why his name was Obed. Restored her life brought back her family's name through the annals of Israel's history. There's so much that she can be thankful for, including her own redemption on top of the redemption of Ruth. But what I find interesting 
in all of this was a couple of phrases that I skipped over in referencing here in the same section. And they're actually very easy to miss, but there's something that's here that's very helpful for us to capture tonight to make sure that we have the right spirit and that we don't have a Mara bitter spirit within our own life. Let's look at it again. Verse number 15. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Did you catch the second half of verse 15? Thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Now, consider this statement for just a moment. Better than seven sons? Ruth? These women who are giving this blessing upon her says this, Obed is great. He's going to be a servant. He's going to restore your life. He's going to bring blessing to you. His name will be famous. And we actually looked at that in connection with Ruth and Boaz a few weeks ago and the blessing that they gave them a few weeks ago. All of these things are taking place. Your name will be restored. You have been redeemed. But I also want you to know this, Ruth, uh, or Naomi, that Ruth and her love for you is better than seven sons. Now, in many ways, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why? Well, one, I just took the last 15 minutes explaining to you why Obed was such a blessing. Could we also go further and realize that in the nation of Israel, having a male child was a big deal. That's why when a woman was not able to have the male child, it was a cause for concern, including a belief, although misplaced, that perhaps God was not showing his favor upon you because you were not able to perpetuate your line for another generation. And we can look at names that would consider that. In fact, I mentioned some to you already. Having a son was a big deal. And this son was a big deal. By the way, Naomi had two sons already, even though they had perished. She had had two sons. But they said this, this woman, Ruth, is better to you than, ten, uh, than seven sons. I, I just mentioned ten sons. The reason why is because in the very next chapter, when we get there in a few weeks, there's going to be a different kind of family situation with a little bit of a different type of dysfunction. There's going to be a woman named Hannah who's not able to have a child, and she's going to have distress. And her husband, Elkanah, makes this comment he says, what are you so worried about? Aren't I better to you than 10 sons? And spoiler alert, the answer is no. <laughs> no, you're not, okay. And in fact, you're a little bit dense uh, for a lot of different reasons, which we'll look at in a few weeks. But you look at that and say, he said, aren't I better than 10 sons? The answer is no. But here they say this, Ruth is better to you than seven sons. By the way, seven being the number of perfection. That if you were to have the perfect amount of sons, could we put it that way? That Ruth is still better than them. Now, may I remind you that Ruth was a woman and sons were prized at that time. Ruth was a Moabitess. Ruth had been a widow. 
that if there was this great selection taking place of important people in Bethlehem, Judah, a few chapters ago, that nobody would have said, uh, Ruth, we need to put you in the who's who of Bethlehem, Judah. Nobody was choosing Ruth. Nobody. And what had happened was that all along, Naomi had had Ruth. What does that tell us? Now follow along for a second. That Naomi, who thought she was made bitter by God's hand. Naomi, who thought she was destitute by the hand of God, was given a great blessing right under her nose. And for all that time, she never even realized it. When she's looking at God and saying, what have you done to me? In essence, God is looking at her and saying, I've given you Ruth. And she didn't even realize it. I'm bitter. God says, there's Ruth. You have no reason to be bitter. And on and on we can go. But it's clear to me that, as I mentioned, Naomi's life is restored being the title, but the subtitle, Naomi finds what she wasn't looking for. The greatest blessing that God had brought in her life was right there in front of her nose, and she had missed it all along. And by the way, that's what bitterness does. And that's what a wrong relationship with God does, is that it makes us look at the things we don't have, and we miss all of the things that we do have. You know, oftentimes, and especially this is true this time of the year, we feel like we need to stipulate what things we need to be happy in our relationship with God. I need a certain amount of money to be happy. I need a certain type of car to be happy. I need a certain measure of health to be happy. I need to have the situations of life just being working just the way I want them to, to be happy. In fact, we're told by commercials, by advertisements, what we need to truly be happy. You got to have this insurance if you want to be happy. You got to drink this kind of soda if you're going to be happy. You got to go to this fast food chain to be happy. And the answer is, well, no, I won't be happy if I go to any of them, probably. Uh, although some of them are pretty tasty. But anyway, moving on. We were just actually speaking of fast food. We were getting some pizza this afternoon trying to, to make a, an easy lunch. And, and, and Peyton was asking me about the box. And she says, what does that say on the box? She says, it says free. Don't you love it when kids just start to read? It says free pizza. She goes, does that mean it was free? I said, I wish, baby girl. I said, but daddy had to pay for this. And she goes, well, 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 why does it say free pizza? I said, that's an advertisement. She goes, what's that? I thought, oh, what a blessing. If she could only stay at that place when she doesn't know an advertisement. You know what an advertisement says? You need that free pizza. You need that new car. No, no, you, you need to have that computer. You got to have that smartphone. How is it different from the last one? Don't ask questions. You just need it. This one has 20 megapixels, and the one you have only has 19. What's the difference? Don't ask questions. And you know what ends up happening? There's discontent that starts bubbling up within our soul. Can I tell you one of the great problems of social media is that you start looking at other people and other people's stuff and other people's events and other people's family gatherings, and you say this, my life's not so great when we forget that 
people only put on social media the things they want everyone else to see. Very few people say, yeah, well, had a really bad day today, thought I would share this picture of my really bad day with everyone else on social media. Most people don't do that. By the way, there are some people that do, and that's actually a little weird now that I think about it. But there's discontent that bubbles up because we think, well, our, our Christmas isn't going to be as great as everyone else. Why? Because your tree's not as big and because you didn't get as much debt as everyone else? That, that, that's, that's the standard? That we're gauging how good our holiday season is? That is so far from what God's word has for us that it's unbelievable. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. It, 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 we look at all these things we don't have. And we miss the thing that God has for us right under our nose. Let me ask you, if we need certain things to be truly joyous in our Christian life, then how were people in biblical times happy? They had almost nothing. I mean, look at Acts in Jerusalem. The Bible says they had all things common. No, that wasn't, that wasn't socialism or communism. What it was is they recognized there were some people that had more and some people had less, and they willing, willingly gave to the needs of others. Why? Because they realized... I don't need all this stuff to be happy and to have joy. If we have to have a certain level of living to truly be joyous, then how are people in third world countries happy? They must all be miserable. I have a missionary friend who uh, I was actually, there's a possibility they could come a few weeks ago and it didn't work out in the calendar because of other things that were going on. Their name is The Rays, R-E-A-S. And they are in Zambia. You know, it's amazing to me when I see their posts online sometimes about the things that bring them joy. Had a good harvest of crops because that's where they get most of their food. Got a new electrical generator so we can have electricity a few more hours every week as if they can't have it every hour of the week like we can. We just flip the switch on and flip the switch off. Told you before about my friends, the Garcias, who are in Venezuela, and we were talking to them once on Skype, thankful for the opportunity to be able to do so. And they said, oh, we got to go right now. The, the water just turned on, and we've got to fill up all the buckets. What they were saying was they only had about an hour's worth of water, so they had to make sure they showered. They had to make sure they got every single container they could in the house filled with water so that way they could flush their toilets, that way they could clean their hands, that way they could do whatever they needed to until the next time, whenever that was, that the water turned on. But if it was the case that we need to have a certain type of living to be joyous and happy, well, then people in third world countries shouldn't be happy. By the way, how are believers that are persecuted able to be happy? Interestingly enough, twice in 1 Peter, we are told that we can have happiness, joy in persecution. And it seems to me that the persecuted church in the book of Acts and beyond was a church that was a joyous church. See, for Naomi, what she did not understand, that God's blessing of Ruth had been there all along. And when she thought she was barren, she was actually blessed. When she thought she had nothing, she had everything that God wanted her to have. When she believed that God had taken it away from her, God had said, 
that even in the midst of these things being taken away, I've still brought great blessedness into your life. If you would just take the blinders off of what you think you need or what you think you deserve or what you think you should have, and instead trust me that I will give you everything you need, that you will have the blessedness that I will bring to you, and just trust me for it. Instead of dictating to him, well, I got to have this, and I have to have that. And if I don't, then God doesn't love me. And I'm going to be Mara. I'm going to be bitter. Because God has dealt very bitterly with me. If you turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13. I am so afraid, and particularly this time of year, that we're so affected, even in ways that we don't realize, by the consumerism of this culture, of this nation, of popular media, of social media, that we're so utterly consumed by these things that we think we have to have X, Y, and Z to be happy. Can I remind you what Solomon said? He says, he says you're better being on the corner of a rooftop than being in a dysfunctional home. That's a paraphrase, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And by the way, some someone could say, I've lived in a situation like that, and that's truth. But look at Psalm chapter 13. It says this. I want you to equate this with maybe the timeline of, excuse me, of Naomi's life. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Do you see chapter one Naomi there? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? having sorrow in my heart daily. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Taking counsel in your own soul means I can't even hear from God. I have to counsel with myself. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Could we may even look at the fact that it looked like Moab had the upper hand over Israel during that time. And Lord, how long will Moab be the place of provision and not Israel? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You know, I look at those first four verses. Boy, there's a lot of parallels with Naomi there. At least chapter one, Naomi. God, where are you? God, why have you forgotten me? God, why am I just talking to myself? Because it doesn't seem like I'm being heard in the halls of heaven. But verses number five and six represent a change. A shift. Could we even say a difference between chapter one Naomi and chapter four Naomi? From where we met her to where we leave her. It says this, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Nowhere here does it say that God changed his current arrangement. But what it does say is that he's adjusted his way of thinking to realize that God has been bountiful to him. And could I say this without adding to the word of God? That God has always been bountiful to him. But he just had to look with eyes of faith instead of looking with the eyes of his sight. There's one part of this text I didn't read to you. 
There's one part I missed, and it's above verse number one. Who wrote this? Okay, I just want to make sure you're still here. Who wrote it? David. David. I'm not saying that he was sitting with his grandmother, Ruth. I'm not suggesting that Ruth said to her grandson, David, let me tell you a story about your great-great-grandmother. Let me tell you a story about Naomi. Let me tell you how I ended up coming to Bethlehem. Let me tell you how we ended up having these fields that we have here. Let me tell you how your grandfather Obed was born. Let me explain to you a little bit of these things. I'm not suggesting that. I wish that I could draw a direct line from one to the other and be one of those, wow, that's an amazing thing. It's not there. But I will say this. I have to see a connection here with her testimony. I have to see a connection with her life. And I wonder if there were some lessons that were passed down that ended up in David's life, indirectly even, that ended up becoming incorporated into the psalm, which is a psalm of David, but could just as truly be said of this, a psalm of the life of Naomi. A woman who left Moab with nothing, but found out later on, had actually left Moab with everything because she had with her a daughter, a daughter-in-law that was better to her than seven sons. See, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense if we look at it the way we look at things. But when we look at things the way God tells us to look at them, we realize He has been so bountiful to us. And even as I was studying this again this week, I was realizing this. In many ways, this is a Thanksgiving message. This is just a bonus Thanksgiving message. That when we think we don't have anything, well, the health isn't good. Well, you have enough mental acuity to be able to realize your health isn't good and to be able to pray to the Lord so there's something to be blessed about. No, I, I, no I'm not trying to be flippant about that. I'm being real. Well, my health isn't the way I want it to be. I understand. I've been there myself in a dire way, even just a few years ago. But I understand that even if your health isn't exactly what you want it to be, you realize I am blessed enough to be able to form a prayer, to be able to go up into the very throne room of God, to be able to be heard by the God of the universe. I am one blessed person. Well, pastor, this body doesn't work the way that it used to. I think a lot of people could give that testimony. You realize this, you still have a life here on this earth. People that God wants you to minister to, a purpose in life. You realize God's dealt bountifully with you. Pastor, I don't have as much as, as I want. Can I give you a little secret? There's never enough. There's never enough. If you had twice as much money in the bank, you'd still find a reason to think that it wasn't enough. Well, if I only had a certain car, I'd be happy. Yeah, until the next year's model comes out. Pastor, if my family situation was just perfect, and when will that be? Nobody says. 
And I'm not trying to diminish any family problems you might have. No, no, I have great compassion for that. What I'm saying is, if you're waiting for that to be rectified so that you can say, I'm truly blessed of the Lord, then you're missing the fact that He's blessed you just by giving you life, just by giving you salvation, just by giving you a purpose in life. You are a blessed person. And Naomi received what she was looking for in Obed, but truly the gift was what she was never looking for, which was Ruth. Tonight, you are blessed whether you realize it or not. And that means any cause for bitterness, any cause for second-guessing, any cause for questioning our Creator God is unfounded. It's unfair. And to be frank with you, it's foolish. Well, I don't like what He's done. That's what Naomi said too. But she didn't realize that God in all of that. By the way, in the midst of their family making some very bad decisions, God still had grace and mercy upon them. And that's available for us today. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.